Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, we're looking at the turning point in Solomon's lives, in Solomon's life, the, the, the moments where he made decisions that made a difference. Unfortunately, part three, where we are today, part three is the downfall chapter of Solomon's life. There are downfill, downfall moments downfall seasons, downfall chapters in every one of our lives. There's not one of us who's, who can say we've done it all well, we've done it all perfectly. Times when we've made poor choices, felt, felt broken, not been the best version of ourselves. And, and, and that's all right. That's, that's normal. That's the part of the process of learning about our weakness in view of God's strength, about learning of our need of God's grace. This downfall chapter is bad. It's really bad. And it's bad because Solomon doesn't recover. He doesn't recover. He, he has no one strong enough to come and to confront him. No one who fights to be heard. No accountability partner. Not because there aren't people who care about him and are surrounding him. But because he didn't, he wouldn't listen. Our first chapter was about the call of God on Solomon's life and all the promises, all the realities that that the blessings of God that had been put on his family line by God would be with him as well. You're my choicest king, God says to Solomon. You're a man that has been brought to the kingdom for this moment and for this season of time. I will be with you. You don't need to carry the weight of the kingdom for, for, by yourself. I, I will be there. I will be there every step of the way. If you listen, if you follow my directions, you will succeed and your sons and your grandsons and the generations that follow you will sit on the throne of, of Israel. That was Solomon's coronation promise. His call. And, and at that moment, the promise is bright. His heart is soft. And then, then last week, we spoke about Solomon's encounter with God, where God shows up and says, Solomon, what is it that you want from me? I, 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 want, to make, I want you to make me wise, Solomon says. I want, I want you to make my service meaningful and, and helpful, that, that you would help me serve this people well. And God hears that prayer and says, I will not only make you wise, but I will make you strong and wealthy and renowned and and will bless you in every conceivable way. You've asked well, and, and I will prove that I not only give you what you've asked, but I will surely give you everything that you didn't even think would be yours. I'm a generous God who gives more than was asked for. And I will be more than enough through all of your reign and rule. However, we now look, as I said, at the downfall process. You can't point to just one moment that said that was the breaking point. That was the turning point. You have to understand that it started out as a gentle drift away from God. A a decision here, a compromise there, a a poor call, an overindulged appetite for fulfillment, for recognition, and gradually it took him further and further and further away from God. 
Solomon started out with a, with a heart, a love for God, a passion for God, a desire to please heaven and, and his leadership, through his leadership and through his life. But that changes. David's, David, Solomon's father, had, had wanted to build a beautiful temple for God. But God responded that, David, you've got too much blood on your hands. You're not the man to build it. Let's, let your son build it. And, and the indication was that Solomon would build it. And, and he does. He goes ahead and he builds this magnificent structure. And it's amazing. And at its dedication, people show up to see all that's there. But more importantly, God shows up at the grand opening. And, and the presence and the power of God is so real and so felt that the, the priests stand up to do what they're supposed to do, but the power of God is so strong that they keep falling on their faces. They, they, they keep laying down and crying at the goodness of God, thanking God for all that he's done. It, it, it's a remarkable time. It's, they couldn't carry out their work because of this mysterious weight of God's presence. And, and God was very pleased with Solomon and very pleased with the building that he had given to him. And, and, and that night God shows up and he speaks to Solomon and Solomon alone. 1 Kings chapter 9 verses 3 to 5. And God said to him, I've listened to and received all your prayers, your ever so passionate prayers. I've sanctified this temple you have built. My name is stamped on it forever. My eyes are on it. My heart is in it always. As for you, if you live in my presence as your father David, pure in heart and action, living the life I've set out for you, attentively obedient to my guidance and judgments, then I'll back your kingly rule over Israel. Make sure... Make it a sure thing, a solid foundation. The same guarantee I gave to your father David, I'm giving to you. You can count always on having a descendant on Israel's throne. God says, I'm really happy with how you've lived. I'm really happy with the temple. I'm really intrigued and loving your, the intent of your heart. And, and God understands our hearts and our motives and the state of our commitment. And, and, he, and he just looks at Solomon and says, you did good. You did really good. I've heard your passionate prayers. I've, I've answered them. I've accepted your gift of, as the house. I've stamped my name on it. And, and I'll be there. I'll live there forever. That's high praise for Solomon from God. Now Solomon, he says, I want to talk not about the temple, not about the kingdom, but I want to talk about your heart. I, I want to address some things. I, I, I want to talk about you. you. You have a pretty good example to follow. The example of your father. He had a pure heart. He wasn't perfect, but he had a pure heart. He served with devotion. He served with gladness. And for the most part, lived pretty close to what I asked him to live. Solomon, I want you to live like your daddy. I, I, I want you to follow. I, I, I want you to, to serve. I want you to be pure of heart, devoted in service to me and to the people of Israel. You, you and I have talked before, and you know my expectations. And if you do what I've asked, if you follow what I've requested, you will find that I have backed your leadership and will make you an unshakable leader. It's a promise. 
but it's also a warning. Continue with me, 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 6. But if you or your sons betray me, ignoring my guidance, my judgments, taking up with fallen god, or alien gods by serving and worshiping them, then the guarantee is off. I will wipe Israel off the map and repudiate my temple. I've just sanctified to the honor of my name. And Israel will become nothing but a bad joke among the people of the world. And this temple, splendid as it is now, will become an object of contempt. Visitors will shake their heads and say, whatever happened here? Whatever happened? What's the story behind these ruins? And then they'll be told, the people who used to live here betrayed their God, the very God who rescued their ancestors out of Egypt. And they took up with alien gods and worshiping and serving them. And that's what's behind this God-visited devastation. It's a warning. But, but if you walk away, if you play fast and loose with the rules that I've set down for you and for your leadership, if you wander all over the countryside worshiping other gods, the guarantee is off. In fact, there will be trouble. I'll wipe the nation off the map. I'll destroy the temple. Visitors and tourists will come through and say, boy, this is crazy. It looks like they used to have a good life, but they have nothing now. Where are they? What's going on? And God says, I'll make you a laughing stock. I sometimes feel like a broken record. But I know that the truth bears repeating and that there are moments when God says, make it plain, make it straight, so that there's never an opportunity for someone to say, I didn't know. You are a moral and spiritual free agent. You can make any choice that appeals to you. You can walk any road that interests you. You can choose any spiritual journey that intrigues you. It's your life, you get to choose. However, God loves you so deeply, loves you so intensely and generously, spared nothing, held nothing back, even his one and only son. He he chases you with his grace, with his mercy. He speaks clearly to you and shows you endless patience. So if you choose to follow him, then it's very important that you understand that you follow him according to his requirements. He's paid the tab for your life, for your salvation, so you don't own your life. You don't get to negotiate or alter or change the arrangement to fit your lifestyle, your convenience or your unique tastes. You don't don't get to do that. You live his way. He created you. He knows what you need. He knows your breaking point. He understands your history. He has created your destiny before you were even conceived. He's written out a a roadmap as, as to how you get from where you are to where you're destined to be. So when he says, but, when he's speaking to you, listen very intently with the understanding that you will do what he says, and you will follow it to the letter that he says. It's not unreasonable. On December the 30th, 1987, I stood up in front of 800 people, and I promised Debbie that I would love, honor, and cherish her, that I would be true to her and her alone as long as we both shall live. 
And since that date, we have had some very specific, some very graphic, intense moments where we have reiterated that what that means and the consequences of not following through on that promise. And and I want you to know that to fall into the hands of an angry wife is a warning enough to me that I don't want to fall into the hands of an angry God. You just need to know that. So, so we have a dedication, we have the appreciation of God on the life and the work of Solomon's hands. And we, we have a warning, clear, understandable, straightforward, obey, be overwhelmed by the blessing of God, disobey, and you go, on, go your own way and see the hand of blessing move off your life, move off your leadership, and understand that things will go downhill quickly. Am I making sense? That, that's, what, that's what Solomon is being told by God. So in, that's chapter 9. And we're now going to jump over to chapter 11. And it's not a long time afterwards. And the drift now has become pretty evident. He's not where he's supposed to be. He's, he's quite a ways from God. 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 1 to 5. Here's the opening statement. King Solomon was obsessed with women. Pharaoh's daughter was only the first of of the many foreign women he loved, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and the Hittite. He, He took them from the surrounding pagan nations of which God had clearly warned Israel, you must not marry them. They'll seduce you into infatuations with their God. Solomon fell in love with them anyway, refusing to give them up. Obsessed is not a positive word. It's not a good word. It it means that your appetite is out of control. That that you're not in charge any longer. That your appetites are leading you and making decisions. Let let me give you some, some synonyms for the word obsessed. Captivated, dominated, haunted, bedeviled, bewitched. Controlled, fixated, harassed, hooked, overpowered, plagued, possessed, seized, tormented. Obsessed is not a good word. Obsessed is not a good word. And and, and Solomon is obsessed with women. And that's bad enough, but it was with the women he was bedeviled with that made things worse. He, he married Pharaoh's daughter as part of a peace treaty. I, I will not attack you, you will not attack me, and your daughter will be my wife so that I will always be connected and reminded that our peace is of a mutual benefit. That's why he married Pharaoh's daughter. That, that's how the addiction started. S- Solomon went and picked wives then from this nation and that enemy territory. And and. This, this is the passage that I was used that was used when I was growing up to say, "Hey, listen, no international marriages. Don't don't cross borders. Don't get married to someone that's not of your ethnicity." And and that's not what God was was saying at all. He wasn't talking about intercultural marriages. This 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 is what God was saying in a moment that I'll tell you. I, I need you to know that I have interculturally married. Okay, 
I have internationally married. Uh, my, my wife was born to missionary parents on their way to the Congo. She was born in Brussels. She moved to the Congo, but her roots, her citizenship is in America. And we celebrate our diversity by fighting over the, the last letter of the alphabet. She says Z and I say Z. But we still love Jesus. We, we still love each other, okay? Um, the, the issue here for Solomon isn't cultural differences. The issue here for Solomon is divided hearts. The women he married didn't love God, weren't going to love God. They served cruel, dirty, promiscuous, degrading, disgusting religious systems that had no desire to worship the one true God. That was the problem. It wasn't cultural. God called it. He, he clearly warned not just Solomon, but all of Israel. You will not, you must not marry into pagan religions, pagan nations, the ones that God has clearly warned you about because they will take you away from the one true God. They will seduce you. They will fill you with an infatuation for things that won't lead to life. It's pretty clear. There's no misunderstanding that can be claimed. No means no. When God says no, he's not saying, well, let's talk about it. Let's negotiate it. When he says no, he means no. Hear the spiritual report that's recorded here. Solomon fell in love with them anyway. I don't care what you say. Refusing to give them up. He made a conscious choice. God, I know better than you do. You, you say no, but I think I will do it anyway. The one thing that you, you can say about Solomon is that he never did anything by half measure. He, he goes out and he marries 700 wives and he obtains 300 concubines. Scripture says, Scripture is absolutely accurate. Solomon was obsessed with women. He, he refused to honor God. He went with his appetite rather than with God. There, there, there's a consequence to everything that we do. Everything we do, there is no exception. Once you have said, I will do it my way to God, it doesn't seem like there are immediate consequences, but the journey continues on. But you're, you're on the wrong road. You're going the wrong way. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 6, Solomon openly defied God. He, he did not follow his father David's footsteps. He, he went on to build a sacred shrine to Chemosh, the, the horrible god of Moab, and to Molech, the horrible god of the Ammonites, on a hill just east of Jerusalem. He built similar shrines for all the foreign wives who then polluted the countryside with the smoke, with the stench of their sacrifice. Choice. Solomon chose to openly defy God. He, he did not follow his father's example, which he was asked to do. He, he was seduced by the intriguing religious promises and practices of the pagan people. The Asherah was, was a goddess of sex, and she gave license to do every vile, every unimaginable, unnatural act. Molech. Was, was a God who required human sacrifice, and he was very pleased when you took your very own children and offered them on the, on the altar as living sacrifices. 
Chemosh was a, was a sadistic God who was addicted to violence and pain. All of these things God was against, and Solomon knew it, but he decided he could be both faithful to God and to these other deities. And, and he knew that God stood against it, so, so he built shrines and altars and sacrifices on sacred places throughout the nation. He kept this hill for the house of God, and he built to Chomish, and to, he, he just built places all over the place. Here's a, here's a very powerful picture that Scripture gives us into the invisible realm. Happens what happens spiritually, Solomon didn't see it, but God sees it. The, the beautiful countryside of the nation that God called his own was polluted by the smoke and the smell of repulsive, unholy sacrifices. Not oxen, not sheep, but humans and kindness and civility and obedience. Solomon knew that he was wrong had been brought up better than that, but chose to do what he wanted to do anyways. Chose to excuse himself and, and not to pay attention to the consequences that were piling up on either side of him. The, the list is long of the things he did, and I don't have time to go through them, but I invite you to read the, the, through 1 Kings and, and just read and look at the list of disobedience and of rebellion and loss, lawlessness that took Solomon on a, on a sin-filled rampage. However, let's go to God's response. Be, and before I read that, let me just give you a, a bit of text. Let me read you a, a, a line from a prayer that Solomon's fathers wrote in Psalm 84. But you, O Lord, you are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. It's God's nature to be patient with us when we have our seasons of falling and failing. It, he, he, he's very, very patient, very kind, very long-suffering. So you know that he has to be pushed to the limits when you read this in, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9. God was furious with Solomon for abandoning the God of Israel. The God who had twice appeared to him and had so clearly commanded him not to fool around with other gods. Solomon faithlessly disobeyed God's orders. Verse 11, God said to Solomon, Since this is the way it is with you, that you have no intention of keeping faith with me and doing what I've commanded, I'm going to rip the kingdom from you and hand it over to someone else. But out of respect to your father David, I won't do it in your lifetime. It's your son who will pay. I'll rip it out of his hand, out of his grasp. Even then, I won't take it all. I'll leave him with one tribe in honor of my servant David and out of respect for my chosen city, Jerusalem. God is furious. This is the long-suffering, patient, long patient, merciful God. He's furious with Solomon for abandoning God. It, it's one thing when you choose to personally go your own way, but when you're the king and you drag the entire nation with you down the wrong road, God has something to say. Plus, God has warned him not once, but twice. It's one thing if you, if you forget what he says, but if he says it twice, you don't dare forget it. You need to write it down. You need to remember it. 
God, God then reads that Solomon has no sense of remorse, no, no sense of feeling bad, no sense of wanting to make things right, no intention of doing what he's called to do. There are going to be consequences. The promise that you made is broken, and so the blessing that was yours is about to be removed. I will honor your father's commitments. I'll give something of a token to his memory, to his honor. I've wrestled with how to put into a way that you and I could understand the importance of what God is saying. And I, I don't really have a good way of saying it. I, I guess we see it best through our family line. In the early 20th century, my grandfather, a Saskatchewan, or my great-grandfather, a Saskatchewan farmer, hungry for God, got on the train and made his way down to the Azusa Street Mission in Los Angeles in the early 20th century. And uh, he, he came back to northern Saskatchewan farm on, on fire for God, and he told everybody that he met that God was real and that God still healed and God still saved and still delivered. And there was more than just going to church and doing religious things. There was a full, vibrant life that was offered to us. And as a result of that, he got kicked out of his church. And he didn't get disappointed or disgusted. He just thought that that was a, a freedom to go around and talk to other people. And so he preached town to town house to house. He established some churches. And, and when he died, he died a happy lay preacher who loved God and led people to the Lord and saw his kids follow in these footsteps. And my grandfather gave 50 years plus to, to pastoral leadership and saw amazing things happen in the, in the churches, in the small towns that he pastored. All of his kids loved and continued to serve the Lord. And my father saw all of his kids serve the Lord. And, and my children loved to love the Lord and, and participate in worship and, and leadership. And it's who we are. It's what we do. It's the best life imaginable. But, but. My worst nightmare is that somewhere in future generations there would be Olson descendants that didn't know God, didn't, didn't follow, didn't love, didn't, didn't care about God. I, I can't think of anything worse. I, I would give all that I have to, to say and to make sure that that doesn't happen. We'll, we'll talk next week about the horrible outworkings of of this whole thing in, in Solomon's life of how he dies a man that's full of regret and remorse. But, but I want to make some comments that I think are important for all of us to see. The first thing that I want to say to you is that I survived my teen years because in my home church, in the front couple of rows, there was a, a group of godly older women who were convinced that I had a call in my life, and they prayed for me every day for years, for decades. There, there was a select group of men, men who were my Sunday school teachers, men who had influence in my life, who, who recognized from early years that God had his hand on my life. And they prayed for me. They, they would call me in just before they passed away and say, Bill, I've prayed for you for 48, 50 years. I prayed for you. That's overwhelming. That, that amazes me. That, that chokes me up. 
I, I got through my teen years with my faith intact. I, I got through Bible school and dating and some pretty interesting ministerial training and adventures and kept going as a young man of 20, a young man of 30 and of 40. I, I believe that I was kept by the power of God and by the prayers that were prayed by saints. And, and I will always give thanks to God for allowing those people to carry a prayer burden for my life. However, I've learned something over the years that I'm reminded of by the life of Solomon. Your youth is dangerous and tempestuous time of, for faith, and, and we need to love, we need to pray, we need to support our, our youth and our young people and our young married couples. However, according to some initial study, most leaders in Scripture that fail miserably don't fail in the first half of their life. They fail in the last half. It seems that where I am right now, at the age that I live right now, is the most dangerous time of my spiritual journey. Right now when I have influence and leadership responsibility that touches not only my life, my family, but the grandparents, the parents, the grandchildren, and the great-grandchildren of this house. If I were to fall now, if I were to fail, there is a potential of wiping out the faith of at least four generations. And if that's true for me, that's true for you. We have to be careful. Just because we're out of our youthful days, we have to be careful. And the second thing that I want you to understand is I plead with you to be careful about how you live. Train, discipline yourself to say no. In this season of grace, we seem to be able to say yes to lots of stuff. Growing up in the church, there was a long list of things that I was not allowed to do. It was long, it was clear, it was uncrossable, it was black and white, there was no gray. 37 years ago when I arrived in this church, if you wanted to be a member, you couldn't go to movies, you couldn't participate in anything worldly, and I wasn't exactly sure what that meant. Um, you couldn't be married here if you'd been divorced, you couldn't lead if you'd had any kind of failure, you couldn't be ordained or on the board if you were a woman. Okay, I can't tell you how painful that evolution, the evolution that's brought us from where we were back then to where we are right now. Suffice it to say that there was a lot of blood spilled on the journey and lots of it was mine. But let me say, be careful to what you say yes to. Don't say yes to everything. Find out what God has asked of you. Test your boundaries. Pick, pick something that is meaningful to you. Something that is important in your life right now. And set it aside for a month, two months, three months. Don't visit it. Don't use it. Don't go there. And see if it's you that controls that thing. Or that thing controls you. Does it consume your time and not add value? Does it cause you to drift further from God? Or does it drive you closer to Him? Don't let God ever have to say about you that you were obsessed by something that stole your devotion to God. Learn how to control your appetites. 
Don't let your appetites control you. Does that make sense? You know, we're, we've just come out of this two-year period where we were stuck at home. And some of us have a net, Netflix addiction. Okay? Or other addictions. We, we need to get control of our appetites. Number three, Solomon started out his reign with some very difficult decisions. On his coronation day, his older brother staged a coup d'etat. And, and the brother asked for mercy, and Solomon granted him mercy, providing that he stay out of the political realm and that he stayed away from all behavior that resembled treason. Well, that brother didn't do that. He, he did not stay from, away from treasonous behavior, and he maneuvered and he manipulated and started to do everything that he could to move up the power ladder, to, to get to be king. And Solomon wisely dealt with that brother with a swift justice. And in the beginning, that was the discernment. He had a great discernment of what was right, what was wrong, what was good, what was bad. And, and he acted in the best interests of God and country. However, he became capable of making deals, of compromising on principles, able to welcome evil while shutting out right living and thinking. There are things in his downfall that were daily practices that at his coronation he wouldn't have considered to, to do at all, but he jumps in later on. Not on religious grounds, but relationally. He, he would have seen it as breaking God's heart and, and it wouldn't have either even entered his mind to maintain a lifestyle that hurt God's heart. But compromise moves in and, and comes to a place where he first rationalizes his compromise and then he excuses his compromise and then he believed that it wouldn't cause a problem between he and God. However, it got to a place where he just didn't care. This is what I want to do. This is what I want, where I want to go and I don't care what you say. Compromise lies to us. It makes us believe things that aren't true. I, I have people in my life right now who know that what they're doing is wrong, but they've excused it and they've chosen to bless it themselves and go with it. They don't believe that there will be a consequence, but I need you to understand there will always be a consequence. Always. He, hear me clearly on this. Every act of willful disobedience that is tolerated, that is practiced in our life, causes something within us to die. It might be sensitivity. It might be the awareness of what is right and what is wrong. It might be a dozen different things. But compromise is never a healthy, life-giving choice. Make the hard decision to be confronted by truth every day that will keep you straight on the straight and narrow. Invite people who are strong enough, bold enough to grab you by the lapels, bring you in close and say, you're on the wrong trail and listen to them. Number four, luxury is an addictive lifestyle. Did you know that the word itself is direct, derived from the Latin word for excess? As Solomon grew older, he became very hunger-driven, became obsessed by excess. Chapter 4 of verse, 1 Kings says that Solomon's household every day required these things for the meal of those who sat down at his table. Not, not counting his workers and, and his staff, just those that came for dinner. 
He required 7,000 pounds of flour every day, 14,000 pounds of meal, 30 cattle. Just get it. Every day, 30 cattle had to be slaughtered for, for meals. We bought a half a cow several years ago, and it fed us for a year. 30 cattle. 100 sheep. And every day, to keep things interesting, there was wild game brought to the table. Every day, that was what he requested and required. Chapter 10 says that when the queen of Sheba showed up to meet with Solomon, that she was overwhelmed by what she saw. She was amazed at the food on his table, how much there was, how rich it was, how amazing it was. She was overwhelmed by the organization of of his officials and the splendid clothing of the cupbearers and the burnt offerings that Solomon made at the temple of God. It, It became like a blockbuster movie that focused on the costume and the menus and the chandeliers and the crystal goblets and it had nothing to do with God. The the visiting queen saw the excess, the luxury of of it all, the vastness of it all. But in her visit, she never had an encounter with God. She never was introduced to God. She, She saw the temple, she saw the burnt offerings and the extravagance, but she didn't see God. I pray for your prosperity. I pray frequently for the blessing of the Lord to rest on your life, your family, your household. But I I know that when blessing is released, so that whenever it's not released, so that you can release, so that you can drive the newest, fastest car in town and have the biggest palace for a home, it's released so that when you come into difficulty, when you encounter need personally or encounter need in other people's lives, you have the resources to be God's hand extended and to prove how good, how generous, how incredible God is. Solomon had obscene amounts of wealth and it became increasingly more about Solomon, about who he was and what he had and what he knew and less and less about who God was. And and he seemed to forget that everything that he had and everything that he knew came from God. It wasn't him. It was God's gift to him. Number five. Solomon moved away from being a servant of the people to being a powerful bully. David had put away vast amounts of resources, of of riches, so that when it came time to build the temple of God, there would be the money. And Solomon built an exquisite temple. And he did not spare, spare the expense. There was gold everywhere. Everywhere. And... And once the temple was built, the spending didn't stop. There were palaces and gardens and feasts and festivals and shrines and altars, all built extravagantly and with splendor and all cost lots of money. And and the money didn't grow in the backyard on trees. It caused the king to levy taxes on his citizens. And those taxes kept going up higher and higher every year and would eventually cause so much anger, so much resentment in those who were paying those taxes but weren't enjoying the benefits that the kingdom split apart. (sighs) 
Solomon had lost his heart for serving the people and and stopped seeing them as the, the people of God and looked at them like they were little ATM machines. That would, extra, it would fund his extravagant and needless hunger for bigger, better, more gold, more glitz. He became abusive. He, he became obsessed about being the center of attention, the lead in every story of the nation. Everything had to be done perfectly. Everything had to have a splendor to it so that his reputation would be raised higher and higher in the nation's. You know that you've lost touch with reality when you stop seeing people through the eyes of relationship and only see them as a means to a selfish end. You stop caring about who they are and what they need and see only in the light of what you can get out of them. I have a couple of folks in my life, and when I see their their phone number coming up on my phone, I know, okay, what is it that you want? They don't care about me. They're not interested. Bill, do you happen to have a deal on this, or do you know where I can get that? Well, what's the state of your relationships right now? Are you a safe person? Is your presence in the lives of people safe and comfortable, or are you a risky place to be? If you are, turn it around. Get that straight. Number six, and finally, Solomon's appetites took him to some very dangerous, very evil places. David, will you come? His appetites had him standing at the wrong altars, had him worshiping strange gods and being a part of ritual worship practices that were wrong and were disgusting to God. Solomon's father wrote this line in in one of his hymns of praise, taste and see that the Lord is good. It means that once you've experienced the goodness, the generosity of God, you don't want to be anyplace else. There are those incredible meals that taste so wonderful, so brilliant, so satisfying that you walk away and say, I'm never eating clown food again. I'm never going to McDonald's again. It's just so rich, so beautiful. Why would I eat that cardboard when you can eat like this? You can tell I've had a few of those meals. Solomon had been in such a place with God. He'd experienced a a powerful, life-changing encounter with God that we spoke about last week, but he chose, he decided to abandon the table that had been so well set, so well looked after, so satisfying to him. And he chooses to walk backwards. He starts eating from the slop that pagan nations ate from. And he was standing in in unity with dark and impure religions that degraded men and dishonored God. And he accepted the lies of the foreign creeds and lost his sense of, of the love for truth. Lost a horror of things that hurt his fellow men and broke the heart of God. That didn't bother him anymore. I read this quote while studying for this passage. Solomon gave up his identity, his nation's identity, as the people of God so that he could be like all the other nations. Isn't that sad? Isn't that heartbreaking? 
in, in this summer where, where the routine is more relaxed and the pressure is a little less intense, I, I want to encourage you to use this time to measure the distance there is right now between you and God. Are you closer this summer than you were last summer? Do you speak regularly with Him? Do, do you dive into this Word and say, God, align my life, my thoughts, my direction with Yours? Have you been consistent in the disciplines that build good relationship between the two of you? Is the gathering of and getting together with the people of God a priority or is it something that happens whenever it might be convenient? Are you closer or further away from God than you were at the start? If you're closer, then you're going the right direction. If you're further, you're on the wrong road. Solomon's story is a tragic tale that has extremely sad consequences that, that we'll study next week when we look at the regret-filled existence that Solomon ends his autobiography on. But, but this isn't a story in a book that makes you read it and say, oh, wasn't that a sad bit of news? It, it's a place here so that, that it would be a warning to you, to me, about how we live, what we embrace, who we allow to control our lives, what we allow to control our lives. It's a warning that there are always consequences. This morning I'm challenged to be careful of how I live. Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he's pretty straightforward, and I want you to listen. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful to even talk about the things the ungodly people do in secret. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, show me. God, teach me both what pleases you and what is good for me. Help me to walk in the light as you're in the light so that I avoid the dark, evil living that is trying to entice me. Keep my curiosity from wandering into dangerous, shame-filled places that will harm me, harm the people that I live with, that I lead. Make me wise in the way that I live every day. Supervise, watch over the decisions that I make. Take, take me closer and not further away from you. Let my actions be right, be good, not thoughtless, careless. Keep me safe from allowing my pain to be medicated by the things that will ruin my life. Every day let me encounter you. Let my life be marked by spirit, fullness, and overflow. Let songs of praise for who you are and what you do come out of my mouth spontaneously every day. Let me be thankful. Let me be cognizant of the goodness the graciousness of God. Will you stand with me? I'm so glad you're here this morning. 
I hope that you're enjoying Solomon's lessons. They're hard lessons, but they're good lessons. So this morning, Father, I pray over this people. I thank you for them. I thank you that you've brought them from the four corners of the world and that you've planted them in this house, in this city, for such a time as this. I thank you that your hand of blessing, your your call is on their life. That when they call, you will answer. When they cry out, you hear. I thank you for that. And I know, Father, that you have plans to bless and to prosper them and to do good for them. But I also know that there's an enemy that wants to take them out, wants them to be destroyed so that they would not be faithful to the call that's on their life. And so this morning, in the name of Jesus, I pray the Holy Spirit would come, the one that you said would lead us into all truth, that he would take us to the mirror of of your word and that he would show us the things that are dangerous in our lives. He would give us warnings. Don't let that get out of control. That he would show us the places where, where there are pitfalls and difficulties and dangers and that we would not ignore it, but our heart would be tuned to your voice. Lead us, guide us, be with us, we pray. I pray for divine encounter for each and every person in this room. That God, in the quiet moments of their day, you would show up and you would speak to them as clearly as they hear me speaking to you today. Let that happen, we pray. Father, we align ourselves by praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray when he said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Expect God to speak to you this week. Thank you so much for being here. Let's remember the picnic.